Well, this is week five in a series of messages out of the book of Acts that we've been calling Awake. And uh, if you've missed it, um, what we've been talking about, first of all, is that what Jesus is doing in the world today is he is building his kingdom. And I've said over and over again, every single week, listen, guys, the kingdom is the goal. The kingdom is the project. The kingdom is the dream. It's the vision of Christ, which means that the vision of Jesus is so much bigger than just the vision of a redeemed people. It's the vision of a redeemed everything. The vision of Christ is all comprehensive. It's a new heaven. It's a new earth that's inhabited by an entirely new people, a people made new through faith in Jesus. So Jesus Christ is building the kingdom of God, and that is where he is taking us towards. I mean, that's what he's moving all of humanity towards, all of history towards. That's what's coming, okay? And here's the really cool part. He wants to build a kingdom through you. He wants to build a kingdom through me. He's building the kingdom, and he wants to do it through us. So the deal is he wants us to find our thing. He wants us to figure out how it is that he has positioned and made us all our lives for this moment of our life to build his kingdom in this season of our life. And then, by the power of his spirit, to do it. Find your thing, do your thing. But here's the thing. We talked about this the last couple of weeks. It's not going to be easy. So that's one of the things I've appreciated about Luke is he's kind of taken us through the book of Acts. He's not keeping things in his pocket and then bringing them out later, you know, after they happen. He's letting us know up front, look, here's the deal. Want you to build the kingdom, and it's not going to be easy. It's just not. Why? Because it follows the pattern of Jesus. The New Testament does not shy away from the fact that what, what God is doing in our hearts and in our lives as He's building the kingdom in us, as He's conforming us to the image and to the pattern of the one who, what? Lived for the building of the kingdom. And so then, parenthetically, what are we to live for? If we're to be conformed to His pattern, His life, His values. It's, just, it's the kingdom. For the one who suffered and died for the building of the kingdom. And so then, what are we to be willing to suffer and die for? It's the kingdom to the one who was buried. It's not sounding exciting so far, is it? I mean, it's kind of like, oh man, it just keeps getting worse. But then it gets better. Because he didn't just live. He didn't just suffer and die. He wasn't just buried and then that's the end of the story. The story continues. The story looks past death and sees life. Because then Jesus was raised from the dead. Now I'm getting interested that's something I, that's a program I would sign up for. That's glory, you see. And then what? He ascended into heaven. I'm all in now. All of a sudden, it's just been completely recalibrated in my mind. And I'm going, okay, this sounds exciting to me. Where he now sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, who has placed everything under his authority and control. What does Jesus say to his disciples just before he leaves planet Earth? He says, guys, here's the deal. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All of it. And then what does he say? And he doesn't just say it to them. He puts it in the Bible that he might also say it to us. He says, now go. Go make disciples. Go build my kingdom. Go, as we say it here, lead people into a growing relationship with me. And then he says, and I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. How is that? By his spirit who inhabits us and the end of the age. See, that's when he returns. That's when he brings the kingdom in all of its fullness. That's when he answers the prayer that he's taught us to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So here's the deal. Jesus is building his kingdom. He wants to build it through you. It's not going to be easy. That's the pattern. But where does the pattern end? The pattern ends in eternal glory. 
And that should make a difference in our lives. You know, as we talked about last week, first of all, if we can set our hearts, our minds, our eyes on the eternal glory that is to come as we build the kingdom of God here in this world, then first of all, I mean, we ought to be motivated to build the kingdom of God in this world. I mean, you know, and if struggling is what it takes, well, then we ought to struggle, keeping our eye on the goal. And if sacrificing is what it takes, well, then we ought to sacrifice. Again, recognizing the glory to come. If suffering is what it takes, and occasionally it may be for some of us, then do it. Seeing the unseen and realizing that in doing so, you're storing up for yourself an eternal treasure, something you'll enjoy forever. So it ought to change that about us, and it ought to motivate us to invest in the building of God's kingdom. But I'll tell you what else it ought to change. It ought to change the way we receive and the way that we experience the trials and the difficulties and the sufferings of this life, because sometimes God brings those into our lives, doesn't he? He does it always, by the way, to build his kingdom. Sometimes it's just to build his kingdom in our own hearts as he takes us through trials and he takes us through painful experiences, difficult and disappointing things, things that we never would have planned for, never would have gone out looking for, but never would have drawn nearer to Jesus without. It's the most difficult things in our lives oftentimes that bring us the closest to Christ. It's those experiences through which he builds his kingdom and takes territory in our own hearts. And so we ought to look at those differently in light of that. And we ought to look at it differently as well when we experience difficulties in our office or in our school or in our playground or in the neighborhood or you know, with our friends or with our family or wherever it is that we are seeking to build the kingdom of God as God builds his kingdom through us. It ought to change the way that we view and perceive and experience trials and suffering. And Luke's going to teach us that this morning. And what he's going to show us is that instead of becoming you know, resentful, bitter, angry, despairing, depressed people when these things come into our lives, what we ought to do instead is in faith, worship. It almost sounds crazy, doesn't it? It does if the kind of worship that you know, we're talking or that Luke's talking about is, you know, hey, praise Jesus, I'm really enjoying this worship because that's just not the case, is it? That's phony worship. So he's not talking about a, wow, I'm really excited about this. Please bring me some more of this tough stuff God worship. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, you know, I, I, I'm so happy this is happening to me worship. That's phony too. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a, this is very real. This is very raw. And this is very unsettling. Dear God, I don't understand this. My little mind can't comprehend this. My imagination is just not large enough to figure out how in the world you can bring anything good out of this. But... As one who sees the unseen, I will trust in your greater wisdom. I will trust in your imagination, which is so much larger than mine. And I will set my eyes on the eternal glory that I know is being stored up for me in heaven. And I'll worship. That's the kind of worship we're talking about today. And that's what Luke shows us in Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 16 where he says this, he says, as we, and I'm going to stop, and I know that freaks some of you out, we're two words into the deal, okay? Just hang with me for a second, because he's telling us something there. As we, what is he saying? He's saying, hello, I'm part of this story. Did you catch that? Actually, he's one of four guys. It's Luke, it's Timothy, might have heard of him, First and Second Timothy. 
It's the Apostle Paul. I know you've heard of him. It's a guy named Silas. And all of these guys are in this town of Philippi. It's a Greek town. It's, it's Hellenistic culture. And what they're trying to do is to build a church. They're preaching, they're teaching, they're building the kingdom of God in this city of Philippi, okay? You get the idea? And so he says, as we were going to the place of prayer, why are they going to a place of prayer? Because that is indispensable in building the kingdom of God. And that's true, by the way, whether the kingdom is coming in us or through us. We must be a praying people. Every significant movement of the Spirit of God has come in response to prayer. You know, you look at all of the different things that they could have been doing this day and you think, well, you know, where does prayer fit on the list? I guess it's pretty high up there because that's where they're going when the story occurs. As we were going to the place of prayer, they're heading to a prayer meeting. It says that we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. Actually, what it says in the Greek language is that she had a pythonic spirit. And that doesn't mean a thing to us today, okay? Because we don't know Greek mythology, but it meant a lot to these people in Philippi. Basically, what that meant was that the people in Philippi, these people, Hellenistic culture, again, Greek mythology, they're buying into a lot of that stuff at this point still. They think that this woman spoke with the voice of Apollo, one of the gods, okay? Worshipped as the Pythian god and also most commonly associated with delivering the oracles or the statements of the god. You get the idea? In other words, they thought that this woman would occasionally just out the, you know, utter out the utterances of Apollo himself, which made her a very valuable person. Why does that make her a valuable person? Because every person on planet Earth wants to hear a word from God. All of us do. And the question is why? To what end? To what purpose? And for the building of whose kingdom? And that was very convicting to me because I, you know, I mean, you have to kind of begin to examine your prayer life and say, what am I praying for? Is this his glory that I'm concerned or is this mine? Is this his kingdom? Is this my kingdom? Is this, who's it about? What's it about? So he says, as we were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a pythonic spirit, a spirit of divination, and who brought her owners much gain, meaning a lot of money because she was a fortune teller and everybody in town wants to hear the word of God and so they'd come to the owners and they'd deal out a hundred bucks or whatever and they'd say, okay, you know, should I marry this person? Should I not marry this person? Do I, you know, invest in this? Do I not invest in that? Do you have any thoughts on the lotto because it's way up this week? Maybe a dollar isn't so crazy, you know. I mean, everybody wants to hear from God. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. And then Luke says, and she followed Paul and us around crying and listen to her message for a second and ask yourself, what's wrong with this? What's wrong with the message? She's crying out, these men, these preachers of the gospel, these guys are servants of the Most High God. And she could say that with authority because she was a servant of the Most Low God. Okay? These men are servants of the Most High God, here it is, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. What's wrong with that message? Anything? You know, the only thing wrong about it is that she's uttering it. Think about what she's doing for a minute, because it sounds like she's trying to help them out. You know, she's sort of lending them her credibility, which actually is the problem. Everybody in town thinks that this woman speaks with the voice of Apollo, so now all of a sudden Apollo is testifying to the authenticity of the gospel of the true God. Does that make sense? You see, she's distorting the message of these guys. She's going around and attaching it, if you will, to Greek mythology. There's a confusion that develops as a result of what she's doing. She is actively working against what they're doing in this passage. 
says she followed Paul and us around crying, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation, you know? And she kept doing this for many days, day after day after day after day. And then Paul, it says, having become greatly annoyed. And that tempts you to think that what that means is that he became like really, you know, upset. He was angry and he maybe had been angry. But the word annoyed means grieved. As in perhaps grieved for her soul, the soul of the woman who's doing everything she can to discredit Jesus and discredit his word and discredit his gospel and discredit his church and the building of his kingdom. Now think about that for a minute because there are a lot of people in our lives who do the same thing. Now there are a lot of people in each one of our own little worlds, whether it's in our office or in our school or community, wherever the case might be, who, you know, frankly, are actively working against the kingdom of God. There are a lot of people in our community who would actively work against the kingdom of God. And I think that one of the tests of our own heart is the test of the heart of Paul. I mean, we've got to ask ourselves, do they just make us angry or are we also concerned for their soul? He's not just grieved, he's greatly grieved. And so he turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And the spirit came out of her that very hour, the implication being that she's not just, you know, cleansed of the spirit, but she now becomes a follower of Christ, which is amazing. And it's awesome. It's like this incredible little story leading up to the big story that we're about to get to. But it comes with a price. What it comes with is suffering. Suffering that I think these guys could perceive. That's why I think he waited until he just couldn't take it anymore. It says, but when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, just follow along, but not Timothy or Luke, which is interesting, and they dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers, and when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews. Now hang on, they're leading with racism here, okay? Which may explain why they didn't grab Timothy and Luke, because they weren't Jews, Timothy being half-Jewish. So they're leading with racism. That's what this subjects them to. These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city and they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. They're making up things and trying to cause it to stick to these guys. And the crowd, it says, joined in attacking them and, and the magistrates then, of course, investigated all of the claims very carefully and meticulously, you know, read them their rights, told them that they had a right to an attorney and the right to remain silent, all that jazz. And then, of course, they then held a trial and they got an impartial jury of their peers and it's none of that. They're subjected to injustice. They grabbed these guys. It says, tore the garments off of them, so they stripped them naked publicly. That's a downer. And gave orders to beat them with rods. This is not a fun day for these guys. And it doesn't get better from here. It says, and when they had, been, had inflicted, here it is, many blows so they beat them severely when they had inflicted many blows upon them they threw them into prison ordering the jailer who was a guy who was no doubt also quite accustomed to brutality okay to keep them safely and having received this order he then put them into the inner prison which is kind of luke's way of saying he put them in the deepest darkest and most despairing part of the prison and then it says and he fastened their feet in the stocks. And that was no fun either because the stocks in those days were created in such a way as to be used to make you do a split. And I don't do splits. Do you? 
So if you know the story, what happens next, of course, is that Paul and Silas cry out to God. And they say something like, what are you, what are you doing? Hello? <laughs> this is us. You, you know us, oh God, don't you? I mean, we're the guys who have given up everything to follow you. Everything. I mean, is there anything we haven't given up? Family, friends, reputation, careers, everything. You name it, we've, we've given it up. And by the way, I don't know if you noticed, but we were doing kind of some good things today. We were on the way to a prayer meeting, thought that should count for something. We freed Slave Girl. That was cool for like five minutes. We're building your kingdom here in the city of Philippi. Does that not count for anything? Let's review what that has resulted in our lives. We were seized, dragged, falsely accused, summarily convicted, stripped naked, did not enjoy that one, Lord, beaten severely, thrown into the deepest, darkest, most despairing part of the prison. And in case it's escaped your notice, we're both doing splits. So they become resentful. They become very bitter. They become angry, depressed, despairing people. No, but we do. No. These are men who see beyond this life. And that's what the New Testament calls us to do over and over and over again. It's, it's like it's jumping up and down going, hey, this isn't all there is. <laughs> really? No, 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 I, I, no, seriously, this isn't all there is. No, let me say it again. It, it's not all there is. Uh, uh, okay, it's the next page. No, it's not all there is. There's another life. There's another place. There is a glory. These guys live as those who see the glory. And so they live differently. It says at about midnight. Now, what is he saying there? He's saying at the deepest, darkest, most despairing part of the night in the deepest, darkest, most despairing part of the prison. What are they doing? Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They're worshiping. Why? Because they're happy about this? No. Because they wouldn't change it if they could? No. Because they're hoping to wake up the jailer so he can come crank their legs a little bit further apart? No. No, this isn't enjoyable. They're worshiping because, well, you know, building the kingdom of God isn't easy, but they know it ends in glory. And that changes everything. And it's a pattern, you know, it's not just, this isn't the only story like this. I mean, you think of Job. You guys have heard the story of Job. Job is the most righteous man in the world in his day. But we know of him because he's this like most profound sufferer ever, isn't he? I mean, just about, that's what he's known for. The most righteous guy in his day. So like you would expect if anybody would be protected, it would be Job, and he's not. He is purposefully left vulnerable. Do you remember how the story starts? Job gets four messengers. Now just kind of absorb this a little bit. He's a very, very, very wealthy man. God has blessed him hugely. So messenger number one shows up. He's huffing and puffing. He says, Job, Job. You're not going to believe this, but the Sabaeans came in. They attacked your servants and they took all of your cattle. So like a third of it gone. Killed all your servants. By the way, I'm the only one who escaped to bring you this great message. No sooner does he stop speaking, the next guy shows up. And listen to this one. How would you interpret this? Job, I was with your servants and the sheep and fire from God fell from heaven and devoured everyone. I alone escaped. Another big portion of his wealth gone and a whole lot of servants and 
Sure sounds like it came from heaven, didn't it? What, what do you do with that? The next guy, I mean, as soon as the, what, guy number two is done, here comes number three. Job the Chaldeans came. They killed all your servants. They took all your camels. This guy's wiped out in like a day. I mean, it's, it's over, all right? And then comes the fourth. And this is the most devastating. He says, Job, all ten of your children were at the house of your eldest son having a feast, and a great wind came across the plain, and it collapsed the house, and everyone died but me. Wow. It says, then Job arose and tore his robe, because he's happy, right? He's thinking, bring it on, you know, I want a fifth messenger. That's ridiculous. This is very real. Job arose and in grief, he's devastated, he tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And then he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. He says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then the inspired writer adds the little comment. He says, in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. And for thousands of years, that man's story has been ministering to the people of God and building his kingdom. It's amazing. You think of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Talk about you know having your life interrupted. I mean, she's this little 13 or 14-year-old girl. I mean, they got married about that age then, which freaks me out. But, but it was very common, humble, great reputation. And she's, you know, doing things like reading bride magazines and cutting out pictures of the dresses and giving them to the dressmaker. And she's picking out her china patterns. And she's, and why is she doing all this? Because she's engaged to be married. She's dreaming Joseph, you know, and it's going to be awesome. And, the, and then all of a sudden this angel shows up with this announcement that she's about to become pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Now, listen, we have to say that's probably the greatest honor that's ever been bestowed on anyone. So let's recognize that for a second. But she had to know nobody was going to believe that. Her folks were not buying that. Her friends were not buying that. Her little town? No, sorry. And I'm quite sure she canceled her China reservations because you've got to believe Joseph was not buying that. And what does she do? In the midst of all that uncertainty, she sings. She gives song and voice to what's become known now for 2,000 years as the Magnificat. It's amazing. It's beautiful, you see. You can worship even in the midst of the difficulties of life, knowing that God is advancing his kingdom and that it will end in glory. So anyway, Luke says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and then suddenly there was a great earthquake, and so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's, everyone's bonds were unfashioned, all right? And I don't think, by the way, that Luke is telling you that if somehow you mustered the faith to keep your eye on the eternal and recognize that it's all going to end in glory and you can worship in the midst of it, that that's like the magic formula to make your bad circumstances go away. I don't think that's the case. I don't think there may, be, you know, will be an earthquake quake in your life and you know everything will change it might but I, I don't think that's a guarantee here I do think there'd be an earthquake in your heart however and I do think the shackles of resentment and bitterness and anger and depression and despair can begin to fall as we find the faith in the midst of life's difficulties to worship God 
says about midnight they were praying and singing hymns and the prisoners were listening to them and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prisons were shaken and immediately all the doors you hear what he's saying all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfashioned luke is very careful to let you know that right here right now in this story there is nothing to prevent not just paul and silas from leaving but everyone It's an all-skate. I mean, you can just walk right out. In fact, he says, when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Now, why? Well, he thought the prisoners had left, and he knew what happened to Roman soldiers who were guarding prisoners that escaped. And he figured this would be much easier. It says, but Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, because, you know, Silas and I at least are still here. No, he says, for we are what? We are all here. It's stunning. And there's really no explanation given as to why that is. I mean, you can, it leaves it to your imagination in some sense. I think, I think it's because these guys were drawn to this worship. I think these guys saw in, in these two men something otherworldly that was so magnetic but they didn't even want to leave prison. Luke tells us, and the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling. Trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, why is he asking this question? Is it because he was in town, you know, when the slave girl was given her testimony and God Apollo has signed off on their gospel. and No, it's none of that. It's because he saw them worship. These prisoners saw them worship. It says they all listened to their songs. It's interesting, isn't it? You think to yourself, well, of course they did. What were they going to do? I mean, they couldn't leave, at least not until the doors were open. I think they stayed and they listened because these men of all the people on planet Earth understood what it was like to be seized, to be dragged, to be unjustly charged, to be summarily convicted, to be severely beaten, to be thrown into the deepest, darkest, most despairing part of the prison in the deepest, darkest, most despairing part of the night and put into a split, and they knew that nothing in that warranted worship. And the jailer knew it too. So he says to them, you know, what must I do to be saved? And they said, well, you know, I'm not sure that you really want to do that because here's the deal. I mean, you know, you become a follower of Jesus and then he's going to want to build his kingdom through you. And good grief, look what that has done for us, you know. They don't say that because they know that the glory far outweighs any of the trials, any of the difficulties. And so they said, believe in the Lord Jesus. And you might know, possibly you'll know. It's very definitive. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household, you see. And they spoke the word of the Lord to this jailer and to all who were in his house. He went and got the family and said, you got you to come, you got to meet these guys. So they all come and they speak the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his household. And he took them the same hour of the night and he washed their wounds. Probably what he did is he took them into the courtyard of the prison where there would have been a well, a water source for the prison, and drew water up and washed their wounds, you see, which is kind of an interesting statement because then it says, and he was baptized at once, which probably also means that that's where he was baptized, at the well. 
Doubtful that they led him all the way down the well on a rope. Is my kind of point. Poured it over him. He was baptized at once. He and all his family, even his little ones. Then he brought them up to his house, it says, and he set food before them and he rejoiced. That is the response to salvation. You find it all through Scripture. He rejoiced. He rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God, having been saved by the blood of Christ through the life-giving Spirit of God, but by means of the testimony of two guys who worshipped in the midst of suffering. Why? Because they understand, hey, building the kingdom of God, that's our calling, but it's not easy. And it ends in glory. And they fixed their minds, they fixed their hearts, they fixed their eyes on another life, on another place, as real as this one. And they worshipped. And so ought we. You know, when life's difficulties come, it ought not to make us resentful, bitter, you know, angry, despairing, depressed people. That's not our nature. It's not who we ought to be because of Jesus. We ought to recognize, you know, God's building his kingdom, and maybe it's in me. He does that more than I'm comfortable with. And maybe it's through me, but in either case, it results in eternal glory. And therefore, I can worship. Not I'm happy about it, worship. Not I, you know, please spread my legs a little bit farther apart, worship. Not ridiculous worship. But God, I don't understand it. And yet I will trust in your greater wisdom and imagination. I will set my eyes on the glory to come. And I will give you what you are due, and that is worship. It changes the way that we experience the difficult things in life. Okay? All right, let's pray. Father, we do thank you. Um, we thank you for your spirit who makes us alive. God, who gives us ears to hear your word, who gives us eyes to behold your glory, who gives us hearts that are not hard to your gospel, but that are soft, that are impressionable, that are made ready for what you would like to do in them. Lord, I thank you for this people that you've gathered around your word today, and I, I pray, God, for them, for there's a lot of difficulty here, as well as many joyful things. And I ask, Lord, that you would give us the faith to see the unseen, that you would give us the imagination of the New Testament that calls us to live beyond this world and this life and instead to live in this world and this life in light of the next. And I pray for the advancement of your kingdom. We will be a people who endure whatever it takes when it takes something difficult that your kingdom might be built either in or through us and who in the midst of whatever is sent our way by your sovereign hand are able to claim it somehow as good within your imagination and as something that will bring eternal glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.